It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. And welcome to all of you out there listening to the show today. We really appreciate you listening. Hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're going to be live here on WPSL this morning, taking your calls, comments, questions, whatever it may be about anything spiritual that's on your mind or that you have some question about. We can try to help you with that. We don't claim to know all the answers, but we certainly will give you a direction from the Bible as to how to begin to find the answer. That's the idea of being just a Christian, not being tied to man-made traditions or customs or even even the secular ways of thinking, but taking a look at what the scriptures say for themselves, understanding it and applying it to the life that we're living here in the 21st century. We think that's what Jesus and the apostles intended for us to do, and that's what we're trying to do here at the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm one of the elders and the preacher for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, and with me as usual is Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing okay this morning, Mike. We're very thankful we could be with you and that we're able to bring this show, and, and we invite you your attention. If you can call in, we'd be glad to hear from you about anything. You can ask a question. You can make a comment. You can make a criticism. If you don't want to stay on the line and we can uh, have a conversation, that's great. If you can't, we understand that, too. And uh, you can reach us in several ways. The best way is to call us. So I'm going to give you the numbers here so you can reach us. It's the usual WPSL call-in number, which is 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is how you get a hold of us. And we'll put you to the front of the line. And, uh, and have a conversation with you. Now, we have to understand, first of all, there's a, a several-second delay that kind of hinders us at times because we're not, you know, trained professionals like uh, Ray back there at the station. But uh, trained professionals, we, we might talk over you. We don't mean to do that. You might talk over us. We know you don't mean to do that. So we're not – we just have to be patient with each other when you call in. It, it works out pretty well. But we'd love to hear from you. You can you can make your comments. We'll try to respond with something from the scriptures um, to give you something to go on. And then we'll have a conversation about that if we can. And and we'll give you the last word. And that's especially true if we disagree about something. We're going to give you the last word so you don't feel like we're taking advantage of you. Now, if you, if you can call in then, call in at 772-340-1590. We'd love to hear from you. And then you can also reach us, though, in a couple of other ways. Some people prefer text messaging, which we've already got a text to talk about this morning, a couple of texts to talk about this morning on the show before we even began. Because you can use this, these text numbers. Gary and I both have one. You can use these text numbers anytime during the week. My text number is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my text number. Use it anytime you want to. I'll, I'll respond if I possibly can, and sometime, and then we'll respond on the air if it's something that's pertinent to that. Gary's text number is very similar, 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220 is his text number. You can also reach us by email. You can even write a, you know, a long thing on email. We'd be glad to take a look at that, and you can reach us at just Christians at att.net. Just Christians at att.net. So try to make it simple to reach the show. We are just Christians. Just Christians 
at att.net. You can also use that, of course, anytime. Uh, it's harder for us to check email while we're on the air, but we can try to do that. Uh, but we can't always do that. We can usually talk about it either with you privately on email or on the show the following week. Now, anyway, that's how you get a hold of us. We'd really invite your your participation in the show, it makes it so much more interesting. You're going to always come with something to talk about. Uh, we find we can talk about any, anything for hours at a time, but we talk about we can always find something to talk about that's going on that we've prepared, but it's much better if we're, uh, you know, responding to a listener or to a person's questions because sometimes uh, that you might not think it's interesting, but, uh, you might not think it's interesting, but other people will because they have the same kinds of questions uh, that, that you do. You, you just don't realize that or you think you're the only one. And uh, and that's simply not true. So we love your input on the show. 772-340-1590. Well, uh, we've got a couple things I want to mention before, I, before lest I forget. Uh, we're not going to be live next week because I have to be out of town. So we recorded a show uh, last week for, to use next week, if, if that makes any sense, getting complicated here. Anyway, it's going to be a recording. And, and But don't feel like we did the recording to stifle discussion. We did it because it was a subject that came up, and we had some material on it, and it's something that take, requires some some a lengthy explanation. And it made it easier on us. <laughs> made it easier on us because we had already been thinking about this from the questions we had received from a listener. Now then, uh, but you can respond to that not only by text or email as soon as you hear it, but also by calling in the following week. We're, we're going to do a show next week on the sinner's prayer. When did it start? Is it biblical? What should you think about the sinner's prayer? That's going to be a recording next week while I'm out of town, and uh, so you can look forward to that. That's what really the Bible says about being saved. Yeah, we're going to take a look at then what the Bible says about what sinners ought to do to be saved, which I think is what most people really would like to know, if, uh, or maybe they think they know, maybe they don't, maybe they do, but uh, we can talk about as best we can ascertain what the Bible says about what the sinner should do to be saved. Extremely important subject for all of us. Well, we've got a text that came in, but first, I promise our callers first in line, so we're going to put Jerry on the line first. How you doing, Jerry? Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. I don't want to take up too much of our time. I was okay. talking about Nostradamus, and I understand he was Jewish. And can we place him in the middle of the uh, Inquisition, the uh, uh, Spanish uh, Inquisition, and was the powerful ruffle mushrooms out about a century later? Uh, and that was uh, a lot less blood uh, uh, with the uh, Protestant ruffle mo motion a century later. And I was just wondering, uh, I know he treated uh, uh, people that had the plague, and he believed a lot in fucker and cleanliness. And uh, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, with the Inquisition, uh, if we can place in the middle of the 16th century, I don't, I don't know of, uh, how safe was he being Jewish and uh, was he in constant fill of his life? And I'd like to listen off air. Is that okay, Mike? That, that's okay, Jerry. If you listen off air, I appreciate you calling very much. Very much. Now, uh, I'm no expert on Nostradamus. Uh, he, he was French and uh, you know, he, 
I'd have to look up as to whether he was Jewish or not. He lived in the in the 15 from 1503 to 1566. So, yes, that places him in the middle of his life around the time of Martin Luther and so forth. I'm not sure how that intersects with the Spanish Inquisition. Says he's but, been Jewish, but was converted to the Catholic Church. Yes, I thought he was a Catholic, but his probably his birth, religion, and ethnicity is Jewish. Now, I have to tell you up front, Jerry, I, I don't place any kind of faith in Nostradamus as a prophet. I don't, I, I don't think he was a prophet, especially one inspired by God, or that he had some kind of special gifts in this way, because far more of the things that he wrote have never come true and will never come true than 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 did. Some of uh, them even under, not understandable. Not even in yeah, my, they don't even make view. any sense at all in any way, in any circumstance. So I, I don't place any confidence in him as some kind of a person who's telling me God's will or predicting the future. There there have always been what we might call loosely futurists, uh, people that you know are kind of our visionaries and they look at current trends and they try to you know figure out from looking at that what's going to be in the future looking at current things and uh, the success rate of futurists in predicting what's going to happen is very low and i will say this the success rate of so-called astrologers astronomers those kinds of people futurist seers Sometimes they call them seers or prognosticators is extremely low. I mean, it's almost almost better to say you're not a, a, a prognosticator than to say that you are. If you want to predict whether you can tell what the future is, I, I've got a book now, this is not about Nostradamus, but I've got a book in my library gear. I picked I used to go to Goodwill all the time and buy books because I was cheap. I didn't have any money. And we're talking now years ago. I'm going to say we're in the 90s when I bought this book. It was it was what do the Sears predict for 1972? Okay, something like that. And I still got this paperback book. So I bought this. I thought this ought to be interesting because it's been like 20 years or more since this happened. So I started reading through it, all these predictions. And, and most of them are just ridiculous because history had already gone by and they hadn't happened. One of them was, for example, that the Miami Dolphins would be a terrible football team and have a lo- terribly losing season. Of course, that's the year they went undefeated. <laughs> you know, things things like that. The book is filled with things like that from these famous. Now, they're not just picking random people to put in a book. This isn't even some Internet site that you can change every day. This is a paperback book that somebody paid money to compile to choose the Sears that they thought would have the, you know, even Gene Dixon was in there and had the best shot at predicting the future and publish this little book. Yeah. And, and it was wrong from front to back. I, I should, I didn't know we were going to get this question. I, it'd be interesting to read it, uh, read what was happening. Oh. So, so we <clears throat> don't know the future human being. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, God makes a very specific point that the, that he is the only true God because he is the only one who can tell the future can predict what will come to pass. And he stakes his deity as a piece of evidence of his deity that he is the one who can predict the future. Now, he told it, sometimes he told some of that to his prophets, but he proved himself to be the one who was behind that. And so that distinguishes man from God. That's one of the distinguishing characteristics of man from God. And when people try to 
predict the future, they fail miserably at doing so. Well, you you know, well the, the example goes back to Daniel. I keep saying biblical prophecy is much different from what you see these other supposed uh, prophets, if you will, predicting the future. Uh, Gene Dixon, I remember as a name back in what, in the 60s, Mike? Yes. Uh, and some others in the 70s. But if if you want a good example of of telling the future and telling it accuracy accurately, you have to look at the books in the Bible, like Daniel, uh, Isaiah in some cases, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Now they aren't always uh, predicting the future of individuals or specific nations or physical future. Sometimes it's spiritual in its nature. But Daniel is probably one of the more of the exceptions. Daniel turns out to be, as we've said on the show before, basically a historical or political roadmap to the coming of the Messiah. And the predictions in that are astonishingly accurate and astonishingly correct. So much so that scholars reject it as being a prediction of the future. They say it was written after the fact. Uh, these are the kind of things that give us faith. And uh, and I can show you in some cases, at least in part, we know that the things that Daniel wrote were before the fact because translations were made before some of these events occurred. Uh, and we have those translations and we have them dated before those events occurred. I think part of it was in the Septuagint, Mike, if we want to look that up. I don't have all those exact references right in front of me. But these are the things that you look for in predicting the future. Nostradamus, uh, when you read his quatrains, and I've read a few, some of them are almost not understandable, and they are so vague that you could almost find anything to fit that at some point in time if you knew history well enough. Uh, That's my point about Nostradamus, Mike. That's just where I'm coming from. Now, now, aside from the fact that I don't think he possessed any kind of gift from God, it is true what Jerry was alluding to that he did was afraid that he would be persecuted for being a prophet, as it were, or for his horoscopes. He had some big fans, people like Catherine de Medici, the wife of Henry II of France, and so forth, and all of that kind of thing. But, um, you know, that's a, that's a, a very tenuous position to be in, because as soon as that king or queen fall out of favor... You know, you can fall out of favor, too. But uh, some accounts of his life do state that he was afraid of being persecuted for heresy. But the truth is, what he was doing, which was was prophecy and astrology, did not fall under the kind of crimes or people that the Inquisition was looking at in France. They didn't look at those kinds of people. They were were looking more uh, for sorcerers and magicians, and he wasn't claiming to be that. And so apparently he really wasn't in danger, although, of course, we weren't alive then. Uh, who knows how you would feel at that particular t- particular time. But um, he had some notoriety, notoriety in his day. I place most of this kind of thing as a matter of superstition. And, of course, there are some people who are better at looking at current trends and seeing the future. Now, he was looking at a lot of times astrological tables. The true astrologers 
are always amused by Nostradamus because he made so many mistakes in interpreting the astrological tables that they had to always be corrected even during his lifetime. They were just simple errors because he didn't really understand it. He came into it late in life and didn't really understand what he was looking at, according to them, you see. But that's the competition. So, I, I, and I, I don't know, you know, the Inquisition arose partly because of the, the Reformation, well, partly the, because of the other Spanish heritage. Inquisition is tied to like the mid 1400s, right, and look and on into the 15 a little bit. Yeah, it, it went wax and wane uh, as far as early. You, yeah, as far as you generally apply the Inquisition to the Catholic Church, I think it has some root, roots maybe as far back as the 12th century, but there's not there's not much data on that historically that I can find here. I, I just don't want Christians to. Uh, Put much faith in these kinds of these kinds of um, these kinds of people. Uh, hang on, let me let me look something up. I'm afraid I'm going to well, miss something here that I want to say. I, I don't think Christians should put much faith in, in someone who can read the stars, that kind of thing, uh, because the Bible says these kinds of things simply are not true. They are not going to, you're not going to be able to predict the future by divination, by looking at the stars and by practicing all these sorceries. It's repeated in the book of Deuteronomy a couple of times, a book of Isaiah and other things like that. So I would put no stock whatsoever in somebody who says, well, my horoscope said this or that, or I, you know, my, my, uh, I did some tea leaves or they, they would throw down livers and look at the lobes, how they fell, you know, all kind of things like that. People have always been looking for a way to tell what's going to happen. I think this is a little bit that Jesus was referring to that fact in Matthew 6 when he says that we should not worry about tomorrow and be anxious for our life. That today, that the evil of today is sufficient for itself and God will, God will take care of us. So we need to take a look at what the Bible says about this being anxious for tomorrow. That, that's a common human problem. And lots of things like these prognosticators have, have uh, are evidence of that, is what I'm trying to say. If these fellows knew the future, if they really knew the future, they, they wouldn't be writing paperback books. Yeah, if, if you okay. can predict the future, why ain't you rich? Why? Yeah, why Why are you not, not doing this? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I saw a sign, literally a real sign on, an, on a, one of these uh, Madam so-and-so palm reading shops of telling the future, foretelling it says on there, and, and it had a big sign, piece of plywood screwed across the door and says closed due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> That's an actual picture that I saw somewhere uh, uh, of, a, of an astrologer's shop. Yeah, but, you know, so, in, in the colloquial, why ain't you rich, basically, is the point is if you can see the future, uh, the world is open to you to make a lot of money yeah, in many ways. Yeah. So, you well, know, yeah, yeah, people would all... I, and I don't see any of these astrologers being very wealthy from that. Now, now the, the other... You know, there's always even Jesus refers to these people that can read the signs. You know, the old saying, me and my brothers look, use this saying going out on the ocean all the time fishing. When we were younger, you know, uh, red sky in, at morning, red, sailor sailor's warning, warning, 
red sky at night a sailor's delight. And there's reasons for that. And is it 100 percent true? No. But there are reasons uh, physically in, in meteorology for that to be true. But the other night we're driving back across the state. Uh, so I think you and I were. And there's a beautiful moon. It was a crescent turned upside down, you know. Mm-hmm. And my gra- and I told her I said, well, you know what my grandfather would say. And he, he was an old country it's full of man. water. Yeah, yeah, it's holding the water back, so right. so it's not going to rain. He'd say, Poppy would. I'd say, Poppy would say it's not going to rain because the moon's holding the water back. And when you see the moon tipped up, it's, uh, it's going to rain because the water can pour out. Now, this is the kind of thing people built their lives on a lot of times, and it work doesn't work out so well. Uh, and yet there are seasons and cycles in nature that if you know how to read them, you can get some insight into the way things are going to be with the cycles of, of nature and plants and animals and weather and so forth. But that doesn't make you a divine prognosticator or have some kind of divine power when you do that. But be very careful about making these predictions. And God says in the book of Deuteronomy, any, that Deuteronomy 28, that any prophet whose word does not come true 100% of the time is not a prophet for me. That's always come true. So right. Gene Dixon can have a, a, a accuracy rate of, you know, 15 or 20%, perhaps it will, however you want to calculate that. And they think she's a great prognosticator. Nostradamus even worse because his prophecies are so vague. That's one of the criticisms of Nostradamus that the language was so vague and imprecise and often mistranslated that it could mean almost anything and therefore you have to take you have to take that into account the bible's not that way the bible does have some mysterious language but bible prophecies are meant to be understood usually after the event has happened some are meant to give you a sign of what's going to happen but many of them were written down so that you could see after the event that god said this is the way it was going to be and you can trust his prophet well, and, and his connection to the Inquisition is sort of haphazard. The, the Inquisition, as far as I can tell, started with the Roman Catholic Church setting up councils or groups or whatever to combat or to bring out heresy. In other words, they wanted to find people that were speaking heresy against God. Yeah, And, and that has its start back in the 12th century, back in the 1100s, probably in France. Now, Nostradamus was in France, but he's... Two, three hundred years later. later. Yes. Uh, so his direct connection, the Spanish part of the Inquisition probably was a little bit closer, but still ahead of him. It wasn't the only the only and it Inquisition. It wasn't the only Inquisition. Right. But it, the Inquisition was aimed at combating heresy, finding people who were teaching heresies about God and things. Right. So that's and, and and witchcraft too. And witchcraft and things like that. So that's why he might be accused of that, but. Uh, and now, John can, says that the groundhog says it's going to be six more weeks of winter. Is that, is that, a, is that a divine prediction? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen those, too. I, I saw that the groundhog wasn't going to give his prediction until Joe Rogan got kicked off Spotify. That's what I saw. <laughs> anyway, uh, but he was the medieval version of the Inquirer, Nostradamus was. That's what John says. Uh, she said, my mom would go to Piggly Wiggly every week in Okeechobee and get a National Enquirer, so she knew what was going to what was happening in the world. <laughs> That's his education, or the Farmer's Almanac. Yeah, you plant your potatoes at the first new moon after this time, and you know. And there's probably truth to some of those things because, once again, nature follows cycles. 
But to think that they're all divine and you can predict the future, that's going way too far with any of that kind of thing. Well, anyway, interesting question. I need to do a little. It's obvious. I need to do a little bit more research on Nostradamus. It was worth that much to do it. And and I, I don't think he has a strong connection to the Reformation or the Inquisition, particularly, although he was afraid of being persecuted. That seems clear from a couple of the sources I checked. But uh, he was afraid, but I don't think he had a lot to do with that. And I, I just don't want, I don't know what Jerry's thoughts on it are, but I, I don't want people, we don't I think it would be a tragic mistake and error to put any kind of faith in Nostradamus as a divine prophet, to listen to him. Uh, he has no connection to the scripture. No, and I don't think we should be listening to people like that to predict the future as if they know what God said. We have enough of that within Christianity of people trying to predict the end of the world and everything that happens. That, that's simply a misuse of the scriptures to do that kind of thing uh, and to get other people to follow you into that kind of folly. The Bible warns about that. that. So I want to warn you about it, too, that these people are not from God because they have too many prophecies that fail. And God's prophets do not fail. fail. All right. Should we change gears here? Yeah, Let me give okay. the numbers. We'll change gears here. OK. Does that Go. sound OK with you? Got anything you want to say about Sound, it? Sounds good. All right. Good. If you want to reach the show, we'd love to have you call in 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the number here. You can reach us live in Port St. Lucie. Give us a call. Uh, Ray, I'll put you right through to us and we'll try to have a conversation. And And if you'd like to text us. As you know, we already can see some people do is 772-260-6120 or 772-260-6220. Those are the numbers, 260-6120 or 772-260-6220. You can reach us. Either way, we'd love to hear from you, whether you agree or disagree. Maybe you've got some more information about this topic that Jerry called in about Nostradamus, or maybe you've got a different opinion or a or more information, we'd love to hear you. you can, we don't mind being corrected, and we'd, we'd love to talk to you about that. All right. So our, show, other... our show is primarily about Scripture. I want to go back to John 12, 48. Um, basically, the last half of that verse, Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day, meaning us. We need to look to his word, and that's what this show is about. Yes, that's exactly correct. And so since he says his word is going to judge us. We want to make sure we keep putting that word in right. front of you and in front of us, of course, to take a look at. Now, so the, how about a question about right, the, Judas? The te- yeah, the text came in a minute ago, a little while ago, just before the show. It says, um, uh, did Judas Iscariot die by hanging, Matthew 27, 5, or did he die by falling and bursting open, Acts 1, 18? That's from John. Great question. And people have put this forth as a um, contradiction in the Bible. I don't think it is, and I'll show you why. Let's read the, let's read the two verses. I think I had, well, I thought I had the one right in front of me. It says, uh, after, of course, Judas had betrayed Jesus Christ in Matthew 27. Turn to Acts 1, Gary. So you okay. Can that right. Acts, I think it's like verse 18 or so. But in Judas, I mean, in, in Matthew 20, 27, 3, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. And he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. 
And the priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. So a potter had a field that he would wait, put his waste products in. And they bought that field to use for poor people that had no family to bury them. And that's why they called these places today potter's fields or potter's cemeteries, you know, because of this in the Bible. But anyway, therefore, that field has been called the field of blood or Akadama to this day. And here's some more, more about it uh, from the prophecy of Jeremiah. But the part that John is asking about is that he went out and he hanged himself. Now, what's it say in Acts 1? You got that reference? Yeah, there? I got I could, uh, I'm going to start with 15. Okay. We'll, we'll get to there. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of disciples. Altogether, the number of the names were about 120 and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, Echildama, that is the field of blood. Right. So there, there are seemingly two things. One says he hanged himself, uh, and the other one that he, that he burst, he fell and burst open and his intestines came out. And that's what. That. Now, are those two accounts irreconcilable? I don't think they are at all. For one thing, partly is because we don't understand what hanging is and ancient means of either suicide and or execution. Hanging is not about strangling someone. Hanging is about breaking their neck. And so the right kind of executioner, although Judas did it himself, and this is where the problem comes in, uh, is that the right kind of executioner makes the drop quick and, and the right distance so that it snaps the neck at the base of the skull and the person is instantly dead. And if you're too, if the drop is too, too far, far, you can actually snap you, the head off yeah, of the body. Right. You could break it. You can not only do you break that, you can break the head, you snap it right off. If it's too short, it doesn't break the neck and you just hang there and strangle, which right. is as probably the worst of the three options because it takes a long time to die with your hands tied behind your back, strangling uh, uh, and you can't get up. So um, there was they you could they would often bribe the executioner to make it quick and painless, and then somebody else might bribe him to make it long and painful, depending on who who is giving the executioner the money. And, and that's true of most of these methods. If you were going to be burned at the stake, the executioner expected to be paid some money so that he would put the fire very close to the victim and make it very hot immediately, so that your loved one would die quickly. If, he, if you didn't pay him any money, the stories are told, he would place the fire back away from the victim and just roast them alive over a course of it. And, and there's stories of people just basically being roasted from the, from the legs up over a course of a whole day because the family was poor, didn't have any money, and so he just made it, made it miserable for this person to die slowly in agony. Anyway, that's another story. The, well, the, <laughs> and, and I have another comment. We, ha wait. we just have so – we have – and, and we think injecting someone with a dose that instantly makes them unconscious and stops their heart is cruel and unusual punishment. What a 
a ridiculous kind of an idea. You may not like it, but it's not cruel and unusual, okay? A cruel and unusual is what I just described. But go, go ahead, Gary. Well, I was just thinking, we we think people are like animals. We, we have this attitude towards animals. If they are injured beyond hope of recovery, that by putting them away or putting them to death, we have put them out of their misery. Uh, that may or may not be true with a human being, depending on God's judgment. It could possibly be just the beginning of misery. Uh, and so I, I find it kind of ironic that we always look at it that way. It's just, just but that's just me. So, uh, but anyway, what, what we need to reconcile this. And, and basically I think there are two, two, two ways we could look at it. If he hanged himself via rope, and that's one of the things you have to specify on this kind doesn't of thing. say that here doesn't say that here, but well, if, first of all, let me just say this Gary okay. about it. Cause you're You're getting at this. You have to understand the two different accounts of Matthew and the book of Acts are written by two different people from two different perspectives. And they have different reasons for writing what they wrote in each case. With some time written in between. Yes, yeah, so, so, uh, so one of them, from the standpoint of Matthew, he's telling you about this event from the standpoint of the priests and the pieces of silver and Judas the betrayer and so forth. So he, he says that he went out and hanged himself and because it was a field because it was a blood money that Christ was sold to be executed, it becomes blood money, what they wouldn't do. So it's just telling you this quick little snippet that he went out and hanged himself. And that's the viewpoint of Matthew. He's not trying to give you a detailed account of, of uh, what happened to Judas in this case. Now, when you get to the book of Acts, it's telling you more about Judas because the focus is on replacing him as an apostle. Right. And so, therefore, it's going to give you a little more about what about Judas himself, and it's not flattering at all. The account of Matthew, if we understand this historical context, is a very disturbing and unflattering kind of an account of this man who had once been a close associate of Jesus, and and it tells you more or less gives you an eyeful of the punishment that comes from this to this betrayer of Christ. So it's two different ways of looking at it. And so, yes, it's possible that you can say Judas went out and hanged him. So he'd go, the picture is he goes to like a ledge or something, and maybe there's a tree hanging over the ledge. He gets some rope, hangs himself from the rope, jumps off. It, it snaps. He falls to a distance onto the rocks. His intestines burst out. He's disfigured because he fell off of like a little cliff or overhang from the rope snapping or the, or the branch snapping. And that's the usual explanation. That's why both of these things are true. He's strangled and he's burst open. Or he, or, he hung there for a while and the body decayed what? and it just naturally fell and burst open. Now, that's a more usual kind of thing that would happen in ancient times. Um, they, they would often, on purpose, leave people hanging on crosses until the bones fell off. There are cases in the book of First Kings about this. Some of Saul's relatives, they, that's what happened. These boys were hung up on a on a stake and there and hanged there until they rotted off. And their mother kept the birds away and picked up all the bones when they fell. Uh, you know, uh, this is the, this is the way they treated criminals or people that were outcasts at times. That's why it's unusual that Joseph Arimathea comes and gets the body of Jesus right away because he was a, a criminal. But he wasn't a criminal in the eyes of many other people. And so they came and they took care of his body right away. And it even mentions 
Pilate let him do it. Oftentimes, Pilate would have said, uh, certain criminals, no way. You, I know you're the family, but you can't have his body. His body's going to hang on that stake until it rots off and the birds eat it. And they would do this on purpose to show the people, don't mess with the powers that be. Now, in the case of Judas, maybe he did hang there. No one was going to go get him down. Uh, or they couldn't get him down. He had done it in such a way it would be hard to get him down. And so they just let him hang there. And he, he rots and falls in pieces and intestines burst out on the rocks below. Uh, this is entirely possible. Now, here's the thing. The book of Acts account will be written from the standpoint of someone who saw Judas actually do this and what it looked like after the fact. Yeah. Or the case in the case in Matthews, them just referring to what he did. He went out and hanged himself. He wasn't trying to convey the message of what it looked like when he hanged himself or what happened. And in the context of replacing him, this is why we're going to replace him as in part of it. Yes. Yes. So basically there there are two explanations here. Judas is a I won't say an interesting figure, but he's a more complex figure than I would have thought upon first study. He was a thief. He took the money. He held the money bag. And it says he was a thief because he kept and taking the money. Scripture says he was a thief. And yet he was loudly protesting that we're spending money to help <laughs> things. Help, help the poor. He or help, yeah, he, he, he didn't have access to that money if they gave it away, did he? Right, which was <laughs> part of the problem. And yet, and he had access to Jesus, and he saw all the things that Jesus did. And I have to assume that he saw him raise uh, Lazarus from the dead and other things. And yet, you know, why did why would he betray him? Well, the modern explanation of that is that he did it because he knew that Jesus was so powerful that nothing could stop him. And so he just thought he'd make a little money knowing that Jesus would easily escape their arrest. That Jesus would walk. He would and, walk and, away and, and he would, he get, would have, he would have money. the money. So he that doesn't make him a better person to me. They're trying to rehabilitate. Actually, In modern times, they're trying to rehabilitate Judas. Can you believe that, Gary? This is And there's plenty of preachers preaching this and books written about and they're trying to rehabilitate Judas. That just tells you the low point of our character and morals in the modern day that we want. To, we think we can rehabilitate a man like Judas. The Bible has nothing positive to say about this man. And I'm going to take my clue as to what to think about Judas from what the Bible says about him. Does right. that make, not, not that that makes me special, but I mean, I think that's the advice I would give you. Well, that's basically... So that's the only explanation they've come up with. He would just... He just thought he could make a little money because Jesus was so powerful he'd walk away from it. So he really was just a true believer, you know, who wanted to make a little extra money. Well, he wasn't a true believer. He, from their, he, from their past. From standpoint. their point. Yeah, no, I'm not saying he was either, of course. I mean, if he was a true believer, he would have taken the words of Jesus <laughs> by heart and put them into practice in his life. He wouldn't have been stealing from the bag. He, he wouldn't have he, been right. betraying. He, he had already been told that the Son of Man must die and be given and, and, and so forth. He'd already been told that Jesus was going to die and be put to death by these people. He just didn't believe it. Now, we got a text here that goes to what this says, Gary, that a uh, couple of texts from, from Jason. It's probably more likely the self-hanging strangles than breaks the neck properly. That's true. Never mind the fact that tying a good neck-snapping noose takes practice as well. That's probably right. The two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. One can fall and burst open after being cut down from a hanging. If Judas wasn't quite dead when they cut him down, or if he was, uh, they didn't have anything but fingers to measure pulse in those days, and so forth. So, this is uh, 
those, those that's exactly right. The two aren't mutually exclusive is the main point right. that I yes. would draw from that. And, and that's how I look at these two things. They're they're meant to convey two different messages about the same event. And it certainly doesn't say you die by hanging that, um, you know, they come and they cut you down. If he did it in the right kind of place, uh, he he might have been over some high place, some prominent place. And so it was difficult to get him cut down. And when he did cut come down, he burst open. So anyway, it's really meant to signify an ignominious death. It's like in Acts 12, when Herod in Acts 11 was acting like he was a god and speaking to the people. And they lifted him up as a god, the voice of a god, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And he claimed all that glory. And from that point on, the Bible says he was eaten of worms. It took about five months to store Andy. He died and it burst open from the worms that ate him. So, yeah, he, he had a great glorious death, didn't he? Oh, yeah. But, but that's what, that was a punishment from God for his, for his arrogance. In the case of Judas, this was a lesson to people for centuries. Don't be Judas. Don't act like this. Don't do this. Not only was he a thief and a coward, uh, but he went out instead of, look, there are two people who betrayed Jesus in his final hours. One was Judas, and, and one, one was, was the P- apostle Peter. Peter. Both betrayed Judas. Betrayed Jesus. Uh, excuse me. Betrayed Jesus. Thank you. At, at, in, in his final hours, both brought upon themselves a great shame. And, and yet the, the difference in those two men's lives from that point on could not be more dramatic. It isn't the sin that you commit. It's how you deal with the sin that you commit. It's your reaction to the sin that you commit. Peter was remorseful, and he did something about it. Jesus said, go feed my sheep, and he fed his sheep. He did what God asked him to do, and he was forgiven and led a life of usefulness to the Lord. Maybe uh, in God's own way, more useful because he had been the one who had, who had betrayed him. Sometimes we have to be forced to look at ourselves, and I think Peter was forced to look and, at himself. And, and for- then when he did see himself, he did something about it. A lot of people get forced to look at themselves. They don't see what they like or they don't see what they think other people should see. And so they commit more sin. That's what Judas did. Judas went the other way when he was confronted by his own mistakes and errors, sin that could have been forgiven. But he refused to do it. He went out and hung himself and gave Jesus no chance to use him or rehabilitate him. It's interesting to me, Mike. Uh, I, I enjoy Western movies and things. And basically there was one movie. Uh, usually they don't give you any truth in these movies, but uh, they had a gentleman there that was trying to preach the gospel message of God. He didn't do much preaching, but he was obviously a good man from the way he behaved in the movies. And he, as he was dying, he was talking to the, uh, the criminal in the movie who was trying to go straight and yeah, aren't said, they all? Anyway, yeah, trying to go straight. And he says, remember, son, God does not care what you were. He only cares what you are. Yeah, that's true. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. There is. And we can we all have that time in the middle sometimes when we realize what we are isn't so good. So we're trying to make that change. And we may be in the middle of that. But, that, but that's not the same as just continuing to sin and the Roman, let's see if it, here's the one, since you're going to, I want to come back a little bit to this story of Judas, just a little bit more. But 
uh, in um, let, me, let me see if I can find the verse I'm in, I need to find here. Ah, for crying out loud. Um, now, way off of it. Give me just a second. I'm still complaining a year later about my new Bible program. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, where is that? Okay. Oh, I, I, he says, I, um, he says, let us, this is Romans 13, verse 12. I'll, I'll start back at verse 11, because this is what you're getting at about yeah. our life and, and how we react. And, and do this, he says, knowing that the time, knowing the time, it is now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is the problem a lot of quote unquote sinners have. What was the chapter with this? This is Romans 13, okay. beginning in verse 11 through 14, that they they say they want to change. They even make an attempt to change. But what they don't ever do is stop making provision for the flesh. They want to stop drinking, but they still have a liquor cabinet. Okay. And they want to stop gambling, but they still go to the casino and bet on football. And so we make provision for the flesh. I'm just using those two things to come to mind. There's plenty of other stuff. And I'm not, you know, we can debate the merits of those two examples. But the point is. We keep making provision for the flesh because we don't want to let it all go because we know we might go back to it. As Christians, we've got to let it let all that go and turn away from it. And um, that's what it means to say God didn't care what you where you've been. He cares where you are or whatever right. the statement was. That's what it means to be somewhere. So I've turned my back on that. I've repented. I've changed my mind about what that means, and I'm not going back. We might fail in that, but you're going to fail for sure when you have a backup plan of keeping the liquor cabinet. You see what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah, uh, uh, that's when you're going to fail, and, that, and that's what often what's done. Now, as far as uh, um, the other thing about this, uh, about Judas, um, well, what you said reminded me of Romans 6, 1 through 4. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer? And he goes on to point out that baptism is when we're symbolically buried with Jesus and raised again to a new life and become a new creature. And that's really the point. Now we are something else from what we were. Right. The, and John brings up another interesting point here. I was going to get to this. I hadn't got to it yet. He says that um, Acts 1.18 says that Judas bought the field. This verse, he's right. This verse does say the priest brought the field and Judas. The Acts, the Acts, Matthew, Acts chapter 1 says Judas bought the field. Well, I think it implies it. I'm not sure it says explicitly. Well, it says, it. now this man purchased the field with the wages of iniquity, falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. Well, did he really purchase it, or did they just use the money? That well, that's it, that's it. That, that's what I'm that's saying. Ma Matthew 27 explains it from the priest's point of view. It was considered a field that Judas bought because his 30 pieces of silver bought what, the paid field. for it. 
when when the when the priest gave Judas the money, they washed their hands of it. This is the this is their wickedness. They would never accept any more responsibility for having bought this man's head. And that's why they called it blood money. But so they knew, but they wouldn't accept any responsibility for their role in this. And so when Judas brought the money back, they said, it's not don't don't give us the money. It's your money. You take care of this. But they took the, when he killed himself, they took the money, gathered it up, of course, like good Pharisees. They're going to let this money just stay there. You know, they picked it up and they took it and they purchased the field in Judas's name, as it were, became a field of blood and they attached his name and reputation to it. So it'd be separate from them. Of course, it wasn't. And th- so Matthew looks at it from the standpoint of the priests and, and Acts, since the book of Acts is talking about Judas's role, they're replacing Judas as an apostle in Acts 1. Yeah. He's talking about Judas's role, and it, it links it to Judas. That's why I use the word. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's two different why I ways use the word it. implication, because it's, yes. not a, it's not a direct Judas took the money in his now, he's already and went, dead, but, and went and buy, bought the field because he's already dead at this point. Yes. And I had some other kind of, um, well, let's see if I can find it. There's another one of these like that. Um, where is this? Where is that account? I got wrote it down, I thought, here. Maybe not. Maybe I didn't. But in other words, the same kind of thing that... Um, well, this kind of thing, Mike, occurs more than one time and more than one subject in the scripture. We do have to look at some of the things that we need to understand when we reconcile those things. And they can be reconciled. That's that's the point. So why do you think they're there in that way? I think they're there because those things are going to weed out some people who read and see and reject the word of God. I don't think that it's meant to cause people to stumble, but it's done that way because one thing God says, he is a rewarder of those who diligently see right. him, and it takes right. study and understanding. I found what I was looking for about something I had read, and I wanted to um, mention this. I'd never really heard of this myself. and Because it says two things about this account, and John brought them both up. One is, how did Judas die? Hanging or falling and bursting open? I don't think, I think those two are mutually reconcilable fairly right. easily, really, in my mind, maybe not somebody else's. And who bought the field, Judas or the chief priest? So it says, concerning who paid for the field, here are two possible ways to re- reconcile the facts. Number one, Judas was promised 30 pieces of silver several days before Jesus' arrest in Mark 14. Sometime during the days leading up to his betrayal of Jesus, Judas made the arrangements to purchase a field, although no money had yet been transferred. After the deed was done, Judas was paid, but he then returned the money to the chief priests. The priests, who considered the money to be blood money, completed the transaction that Judas had begun and bought the field. So when Judas threw the 30 pieces, or, or the other explanation is, when Judas, I never thought about that. That's a possibility, of course. When Judas threw the 30 pieces of silver down, the priest took the money and used it to buy the potter's field, Matthew 27. Judas may not have purchased the field personally, but he provided the money for the transaction and then could be said to be the purchaser. That's the one I've always thought was the right one. That's that's the more simple one, to add the step of him 
pre-buying a field yeah, you, you is, 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 is not as simple a solution. It's, it's plausible. Occam's razor applies here, right? Uh, yes, yes. Cut yes. off the implausible and keep the right. plausible. Yeah. Uh, it's plausible, but it's not as simple and not as direct. And I would, I would go with the more simple and more direct one. Since yeah, I think, but speculating I speculating anyway. But see, there's several explanations of how this could be true, and not just simply a contradiction of right. of facts that Matthew knew one thing and the other people and, and Luke just contradicted him and put in something else. I don't think that's what's going on here. In either case, there are two likely plausible explanations for to explain all this very simply. Uh, unless you just want it to be a contradiction, I don't think it has to be at all. I think it's easily to, easy to see how all these things are true at the same time. Well, we're running out of time. I know I, we are. So go ahead. We've got, we've got about I, I, eight I wanna, minutes left. Go I want to take one more example of this, Mike, that I think is very important. Okay. And that's the use of the word believe. All right. Believe is the same way. There are passages where... We are where it's implied that if you believe, you're going to be saved. And people like to take that as the moment I believe I'm saved. And yet we see that, at least in 1 Peter 3.21, it says, baptism now saves you. So which is it? Right. And we look at believe. It's, and we not, have either, it's not one or, or either It's or not there. one or the other. Right. It's believe and do this. And believe is used to include obedience in many cases. So to reconcile those passages and make them logical, we have to apply it that way. Yes, and we've talked about that many times on this show. And so that's the way to see that. Well, even Jesus, he, he that believeth and is baptized. Right. So there's a separation of the two things. Other places are put together and so forth. Well, he even and, says and you, confess to, with, you confess with your mouth unto salvation. He right. talks about that right. in Romans. You believe with the heart unto righteousness. So that right. separates from there. And so to make those contradictory is, is a false way of interpreting them. So I, I see this kind of thing parallel in, in, in a very important usage of the word believe. It, it's really important to us to understand what God actually tells us that we should do. What, what the men in, you know, in the day of Pentecost, yes, what should, Peter, what shall we do? Right. And Peter tells them what they shall do. And so we have to understand the Bible is telling us what to do. I heard a phrase. The Bible is the user's manual of life. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. Mm -hmm. The Bible is the user's manual of life. So you have to understand it and look at it. It's, it, it's um, yes, it takes some, some thought. And it, the aspect that's very interesting to me is we're so prim and proper about stuff. We can't even say somebody died. But to say they you know, passed away, and now we even just say pass. We don't even want them to go away. Yeah. They just pass. And I always ask, passed where? Passed what? And they go, huh? I said, well, somebody just passes? What does that mean? Well, what I found it's, out is... It's such a euphemism that it, we don't even know what it means. Yeah, if you're from Virginia, North or South Carolina, they passed. If you're from Arkansas and Mississippi, they passed away. Well, yeah, it's changing, <laughs> and it's changing, becoming it's, more common that they passed in common usage. Yeah. Because we just don't want to deal with death or anything that's that's uh, crude or whatever. The Bible's filled with stories, like I told you about the the, the mother of these two sons who, who watched her sons rot and picked the bones up so they wouldn't get taken away and stuff like that. Um, this is well. Uh, what we really don't it's it's not so much death. I think we're trying to get away from Mike. It's judgment. It's responsibility. Yes. It's consequences yes. uh, of our life, and that's. 
that's what people don't want to admit. Uh, I'm afraid that's the the root cause of that. Exactly. And and that goes along with it. But we're also prim and proper. We can't even talk about here. I I, I like to do this to irritate people. But Peter talking about someone who's become a Christian and tasted all the blessings of Christ and they turn away from that uh, is like a dog returning to its vomit. You know, and some of us, including me at this table, at least, have seen dogs vomit and go back a few minutes later and eat it all, clean it all up. In fact, me and my brothers, you know, we would kind of wait on our dog. He would throw up. He'd go out and we'd, he'd out roam around the countryside, you know, eating who knows what the dogs eat. And he'd get sick somewhere in the house or, you know, and me and my brothers would be, had to be the ones to clean it up. And so we'd have made a little, let's just wait. He'll eat it. <laughs> so we would kind of stay, we'd wait for a few minutes. Sure enough, old buddy go over there and eat that vomit, clean up all up basically. And my, <laughs> it's, now you can't. Oh my goodness, you're telling a horrible story. Well, the 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 Bible says that's the that's the comparison of someone who enjoys the blessings of salvation in Christ and returns back to his old ways of living and well, abandons and the truth. Ezekiel, that's what you're doing. You, you know, Ezekiel tells you what that looks like exactly. He says in Ezekiel 18 and verse 24, but when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does, shall he live? All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sin in which he committed. Because of them, he shall die. Right. There you that, go. That's that's the straight word. That's the straight of it. And that's, Peter uses a very graphic illustration yeah, yeah, of what it's like. Exactly. And and so the we need need to be a little bit more real about things. So uh, Ezekiel put it nicely. Peter yeah, put it pretty bluntly. Pretty bluntly, because Peter was that kind of person. He was a man who has lived in the real world and um, seen a lot of bad things. And, and we we should Christianity is real. If if Christianity is about going to church on Sunday, we've missed the point of it. It's about living every day. And if the Christianity that you hear preached and that you believe yourself won't work every day that you live, then in every circumstance you are, then it's not really the truth. You need to find something different because you're you're missing something. It's about how to live every day of your life in every situation. It's not just for church. And so and we tend to have in the modern world this um, notion of separating the, spir- the spiritual from real life. That's so have, my, I got, have I got time to read one more? Scripture? You do. We got about a, what, about a minute and a half here, yeah. so go ahead. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 36. For you have need of endurance, talking to Christians. For you have need of endurance so that after you have done all the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Right. Right. Excellent. Well, we have need of endurance. That's right. We do have. We definitely have need of endurance. Like, and and that's the problem. It's not about once you say a sinner's prayer, you're saved, and that's all that you ever have to do. Go on about your merry way. That isn't what the Bible says at all. We need endurance. That's keep doing. What does God help us to keep doing? What we ought to do when we become a Christian, yes, but he doesn't do it all. We have to do something in response. Our faith has to respond to him continually, as you say. 
All right. Well, we better um, wrap this up here. Thanks for listening today to We Are Just Christians. We hope you can tune in again next week. We'll have a recording next week, but we'd like to invite you to tune in and come and uh, take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Lots of resources there, lots of recordings of this radio show, the sermons, other information. I'd like you to take a look at that. And next and, week we recorded. Right. So, so you, you can't call in, but we'd love to have you listen. And also take a look at uh, a cup. You can, what I'm trying to say here, come and visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church on WPSL Port St. Lucie.